0: In the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. I uh, found out when I arrived that I forgot my notes at home, so I'll trust in your prayers and uh, that you'll put up with me if it's not fully organized in my head. I think anybody can. understand fully how to understand the, the sufferings of our lord without reading the gospel of john right and that's why the majority of the readings of this week are from the gospel of john and all the most detailed ones are the gospel of john and john brilliantly put out his gospel because within the first chapter he tells you everything that's going to happen and within the first chapter, links for you all of history of creation with what's happening in this person of Christ, right? Linking the old Adam with the new. In the, in the old days, I don't know when we stopped, books didn't have titles. You named a book by the first line of, of the book. Even, for example, as we'll see tomorrow on Great Friday, we didn't number chapters, we didn't number psalms. So for example, if you've been to a monastery when they're handing out psalms, they don't give you a number, right? They'll say, the Lord is my shepherd, right? They'll say, the Lord is my light and salvation, and you're supposed to know it and continue. So the first line of a, of a, of a, of a, of a piece is its title. And the first line of the Gospel of John is in the beginning which is the first line of Genesis, right? And it's this link for us between God as creator in the Old Testament that it's the same God who is creator, right? That, this, that we're recognizing the logos, the word, in the beginning was the logos as creator. And John is telling his gospel as a fixing of the original, right? There's going to be these echoing between them. And he lays out from the very beginning that the Word became flesh, right, that the Lord took on flesh and dwelt among us, and lays out very clearly what we're going through in this night. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But in order to understand what's happening tonight, we have to understand how it was made. I'm going to not go into the details of the history again, but some of it I will go into detail, just not repeating what we already did, to understand what's going on here, right? That the Lord created, Lord created, the Lord made man perfect, right? The Lord made him not in need of anything. And man, through his own will, walked away from that unity with God. But God didn't turn his back on humanity, right? God had, from the beginning, written his own rescue plan for humanity, right? And he just asked from humans that wherever they were, in whatever state they were, to seek out their unity with him, right, to struggle for holiness, which is human's identity, not just as, as a random thing, and we've gone throughout the readings of the week where we, we read the reading of that creation, we read the readings about the fall, and we read the readings about the flood, and we read all of these things, and the great deliverance of God, and then finally. Um, when, when humanity kept on refusing God, God's reaching out to the person of Abraham, which we read about this morning. And God's saying, you know what, if the whole, whole world rejects me, is there anybody here, anybody here who's willing to be in relationship with me? And so Abraham said yes, right? And the covenant with Abraham was, okay, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will bless you above all blessings. And I will even bless you in the way that's not my thing. Money is not my thing, right? War is not my thing. Kingdoms are not my thing. But I'll give you those things too. Because you followed me, I will use you to show the whole world that I am the true God. And in your language, I will give you. And in my language, I will give you. Only I ask from you to remain holy. And Abraham was very faithful um, to this. But we see that Abraham's kids, not so much, right? Isaac is quiet. We don't know too much about him. We know that Jacob had a lot of issues, right, with his kids, right? He deceived his dad. But you see the changes in generations, right, as they move away from the original, the source. But as we talked about on Sunday night, the people at one point said, yeah 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 all this god stuff is nice but everyone else has a kingdom we want a kingdom and as we spoke about the lord said fine right you can you can have your kingdom just please please don't forget the point but then shortly after and keep in mind that these people had originally started the unity with God, just with him. They weren't defined to a place. Abraham wandered, right? He'd go to Egypt, he'd go to Canaan. Abraham went all over. It was only when they settled in the Promised Land that they finally had a place, and when they had a place, they wanted a kingdom. And then the righteous King David, in good faith, says, Lord, I'm anamaksuf. I'm embarrassed, that I live in a palace and you live in a tent. I want to build for you a temple. And the Lord said, I was very fine wandering with you. Didn't I wander with you, right? And as John says, the word became flesh and the English says dwelt among us. It actually says tabernacled, tented, camped, right? And he's like, I was fine with camping with you. Right? I don't need your building. And he said, but Lord may Fash, It doesn't, it can't be. I, we need to make you a house. And he said, fine. The Lord knew that this temple wasn't going to do a lot of good. He said, okay, David, you raise the funds, your, your son can build it. And they built the temple. And the reason why I'm bringing up the temple is because when they built the temple, the people started to move religion from being everywhere to being a thing that happens in the building. And what originally started as, for example, the Feast of the Tabernacles, where people went out in the fields and they camped and they had tents, everybody moved to the temple. You have to do it in the temple. And slowly we started to associate holiness with ritual, holiness with building, holiness with system. And it's not that system is wrong, and it's not that ritual is wrong, it's not even that the building is wrong. It's that just like when they became a kingdom, just they at the temple, they completely forgot the point. And as they got more sophisticated, they made a lot of rules, right? A lot of rules that you won't find in in the scripture, you'll find in the Mishnah right, where they wrote basically their own explanations of how to honor the Sabbath and here's all the sub-laws and the bylaws and the rules and the regulations and what it means to be clean and how you present yourself and what do you do and all of these things. And religion became just that. And the people forgot their God. And they forgot their God so badly we talked about the civil war, talked about those so badly that there came a point where, and we'll read about him on Joyous Saturday, King Hezekiah, where it reached a point where the people forgot about Passover. Right? They completely forgot. Right? Where literally one of the priests, and God knows what his how he was functioning, found the Torah by accident when he was cleaning. I was like, "Hey, it turns out there's this law we are supposed to be following. There's this thing called Passover. We haven't been doing it. I think we might be in trouble." Right? Can you imagine church getting so sidetracked that we completely forgot about Eucharist? The first time I ever had an imagination of what that could look like was COVID, when people got so used to not going. Right? When there was a period where we could not enter at all, I'm just like, "Okay, now I can picture it. Before that, I couldn't I couldn't imagine." how anybody could even have a thought in their mind of church and there not be Eucharist. It had reached that point among the Jews. And still the Lord was looking to save. And as we read about in this morning and this evening, he was saying this old covenant's not working because you guys have have felt that the law was about not about inner holiness, but about outer holiness. Thou shalt and thou shalt not, not understanding the meanings behind it, right? That as long as you didn't steal, you're okay, right? As long as you didn't actually cheat on your spouse, you're okay. As long as you didn't beat a guy up, you're okay. And Lord is saying, that's, that's not okay, I mean, that's good, <laughs> right? But it's, it's not about that, it's about here is why he was saying and in this new covenant I will take away your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh but when the people had walked away so badly as we talked about the the Jews were taken into captivity and as we said already for 400 years they were without hearing the voice of God and they were an occupied nation and now we'll fast forward to the end of the first century B.C. because when the Romans take over Judea this strongly affects everything that's happening this night and there's a reason why I'm getting into this history the Romans couldn't care less about the Jews, right? they said, well, we'll tolerate you if you behave and the Jews, as we said, had become a political nation not just a religious nation And so there was a certain Jew who saw it as politically a good idea to join forces with the Romans and to help them out in their endeavor. His name was Herod. And the Bible records Herod as a horrible person because of what he did. But as far as kings go, Herod was amazing. Herod was an engineer, Herod made cities, Herod did a lot of things, and the Romans, because of his gesture of goodwill towards them, told him that he could be the ruler of a certain part of the province of Judea, the new Roman province of Judea, where instead of there being a Roman governor, which there is for the rest of Judea, Pilate, as we're going to see, right, that there's a region that's controlled by the Jews. The part controlled by the Jews, they were allowed to implement Sharia, Judaic law, right? Right? The part under the Romans was under Roman law. And we're going to come to why that matters shortly, because it matters greatly in the trials that our Lord is going to go through, because he gets tried by all of them, by Herod's successor, his son, right? By Pilate, by the Sanhedrin, right? All of these people are the ones that he'll be at. But Herod's kids weren't so great. And Rome was struggling with the temple. The temple is a symbol of the Jewish nation. And so they took a very decisive act in the year 6 AD that matters a lot. We don't talk about it much and it mattered so much. In the year 6 AD, Rome began to appoint who would be high priest. This is equivalent today of the government of Egypt electing our Pope. They're saying, we'll choose your pope. If you want to give us suggestions, we might take them. But we're choosing your pope. Your pope's authority comes from us, not from your God. And that's what happened in the year six. Why does that matter? Because I don't think we realize that this horrible mix of politics and religion that was happening in the temple played very significantly in the life of our Lord because the Jews knew, the high priests knew, that their power wasn't from God. They had taken their power from the state. And because of it, they cared very much about pleasing the state. Because if they don't please the state, I'll remove you, and I'll put a new high priest, which is what happens, which is why St. John is one who knows what's going on when he writes it. Because the other gospels say Caiaphas is high priest, and factually that's correct. Some biblical critics are like, John clearly doesn't know what he's talking about because he says Annas. I'm like, no, he knew exactly what he's talking about, because Annas had been removed But in the eyes of the people, the high priest is supposed to be forever. So in the eyes of the people, the real boss is Annas, even if on paper it's Caiaphas, right? But they know that they're going to answer to Rome if they don't keep the peace. They're ready to sell out their God for politics, right? There are many betrayals that happen this night, right? There are many betrayals that happen this night. And so... They want our Lord dead. They want him dead because of their envy, their, their complete and utter envy of this man, right? As the Psalms have been saying, he's like, I, I speak peacefully, but they pursue me without a cause. The trial that we read about tonight is a, a trial in search of an accusation. Right? They brought him into a trial, deciding that he's guilty but not knowing what to accuse him of. And by Jewish law, by Jewish Sharia, you have to have two separate witnesses give the same story. Lest you read this and think that the, they're trying to give the Lord a fair trial, when it says they couldn't find two witnesses to agree. It almost, it looks outwardly like, oh, they're, they're doing due diligence. No, they're not. Right? They're trying to follow the rules, because if they don't have two separate witnesses, then they can't kill him. And so they're bringing these people one by one, being like, can anybody say anything that sticks? Right? We, just, we just need something, right? anything, right? for us to be able to condemn him. And what they don't realize is that the Lord, the new Adam, is on trial on behalf of man. And when they make these accusations against him, while about him, they're false. About us, it's true. And so he remains silent. He remains silent, he takes it. When does he speak? When there's a question directed at him the Son of God are you the Son of God and he says confidently I am and thus you have said right for this this is true right behold I have come to make all things new and it is at this that the high priest rents his clothes right, and says, we don't even need a witness anymore. We've all witnessed the blasphemy ourselves, right? Because what are the two things that they'll hold him on trial for, that they hold his, his conviction for? Blasphemy. And there's a second or third century text where they say, and also for sorcery. Sorcery, you can imagine, is because he did miracles. And they couldn't call it a miracle, but they couldn't deny that it happened. So they had to use an accusation of sorcery. But here's the problem. This is why the history comes in. They can't put him to death because the temple falls under the jurisdiction of Pilate, not of Herod. Herod happens to be in town because it's the feast. But what did they want? They they wanted to humiliate this one who humiliated them. And he wasn't going out to humiliate them. God was just being God. He just spoke, he was just true. And they would come after him as we've been reading throughout the week, day after day after day with a test. So what is your opinion on this? What do you say about so-and-so? What do you think of Caesar, right? They're trying to bring in all of these hot topics, trying to trap him. When they can't get him on those, they bring him religious ones. When they can't get him on the religious ones, they bring him the social issues. Well, what do you make of uh, John? What do you make of all these things? And they couldn't. And they were humiliated. And so this is the equivalent we don't have in Canada in the United States. They were adamant on him having the death penalty. Right? No, we we don't want life. We want the death penalty. We want the electric chair. We want lethal injection. We want that so that the whole world sees him as the filth that we believe he is. That's what they wanted. And you'll understand this better, and that's why, as we'll see in the trials that go on through the morning, why they have to go to Pilate. They need a death sentence from Pilate because they can't hand it out. They have no authority. Rome has stripped them of the ability to implement that part. And when they see that they're gonna lose that, right? When Pilate is looking at him saying, I'm not seeing what you're seeing right, then they have to switch the accusation in the Roman court. In the religious court, it's he blasphemed. In the political court, because they play both colors, it's, he claims he's a king. And you know what that means, Pilate? That means he might start an insurrection. And if there's an insurrection, the emperor is gonna have your head because we're the leaders of the Jews here saying, we disagree with him. If you vindicate him, you're on his side and this guy is against Caesar. They put him, they cornered him, right? They cornered him perfectly because if he let him go and a revolt happened, it's Pilate's head. That ended up happening anyway. Pilate actually ends up killing himself and Pilate was removed from office because of all these events that happened. And it has the people crying out, saying, exactly what happened in 6 AD had now become the reality. We have no king but Caesar. Right? They had forsook their God. And the scary part is that God is standing right in front of them, and they don't see it. Even Pilate saw it better than they did. Even Pilate at least had this conversation with him, got into this deep conversation about truth. But these people did not. And when he stands in front of them in the temple, and he answers the high priest, they, 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 they give him a blow to the face, they say, don't you know who you're talking to? And it begs the question of, do you know who you are talking to? This is the Lord of this house. But the house had become a place of darkness. The temple had become a defiled place. And that's why the prophecies they are reading about today, he says, my priests are drunk, my priests are drunk, right? They're, this has nothing to do with me, right? And they don't need the people. And all you people do is eat and drink, and like it's nothing and, and my, th- this has nothing to do with what we were about. When I made you, that's why we went through the history, it wasn't about this, it was me and you and all of us and we enjoyed our time together, right? We had a beautiful marriage. Now you've checked out. You're living in the house on your cell phone and you wanna have nothing to do with the rest of us, right? You just wanna eat and drink. You don't even eat with me, right? And you just just want the house, the building structure, you don't wanna have a relationship with the family. And so there we see the betrayal of his people, the people with whom he was in a covenant. And then we also see this new Adam in the garden. The first Adam is placed in garden in the paradise. And in paradise, he was disobedient to the Father. But the new Adam in this garden so it's not your will, Lord, not, not my will, Lord, but by yours. He's fixing it. He's fixing it in every single moment. He's saying, if this is where man fell, from here man will be restored, right? And we see the, the beauty of his surrender and that this was not a fake suffering for him. It wasn't fake suffering. It says he was greatly distressed, right? He had the physiological reaction of this, this, this knowing of my, my, my death coming. And he begs his disciples, his close friends, and says, I'm troubled. He says it. He admits it. He says out loud, I'm troubled. Please, please stay up with me. I, I would like my friends with me tonight. And they already forsook him. They knocked out. Right? And the Lord says, Father, if there's a way other than this, I would like it. But if it must be this way, I take it. I accept. Right? Three times. Right? He knows exactly what's coming for him. And then comes one of the twelve he chose. And as we read in the readings earlier today, the Lord had said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. My friends never everything about me. And when Judas comes and says, Hail Rabbi, in modern English or modern Arabic, "Salam," in English, hey, with a simple hey, like casual in friends. And our Lord is one who greets him and says, friend. He calls him friend. And with a kiss, with a greeting, has marked the Lord. And that's why one of the Psalms says something that's so disturbing in general, and then the gospel zooms it on the specific. And actually it's written all, it's not just the Psalms and the gospel, all over. When the Lord is saying, it happened at Shiloh, it happened at Bethel, these bad things that happened. He's talking about places of intimacy, saying the places where we had friendship, the place where we had history, the places that are very intimate to us, you betrayed me in there. Right? And it says, Judas knew that this is where he would often go to disciples. Why? Because they shared time there. So Judas says, let me, let me take you to our intimate place. For us, that's the heart, where we fornicate against God in our, in our hearts. And he comes in, And he's got a full guard. And the Lord is looking at them with, I've already given myself. Why are you coming up with all of these? And they say, who are you looking for? And he says, they say Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says something that's not clear in the text why the reaction is what it is. He says, I am he. In Greek, He's saying, I, I am the I am. And that's why they get down on their feet, because he spoke the name of God. Right? He declares it boldly. And then when they get up, they ask again, and he repeats again. But look at how our Lord intercedes, even in that moment, and says, leave my guys alone. If it's me you want, just take me. right? Even though they were going to sleep with him, even though for sure he could use the company, even in this moment, he says, please just let them be. And even in this moment, God is so faithful to his following. He views even these people arresting him as his kids. Even these people here to harm him, he views with love. That he does a miracle for the guy coming to arrest him. Who does that? Who does that? And he gives himself up completely, surrendering his will in the complete opposite way that Adam insisted on his will. And then the disciples scatter, all save Peter and John, right? who follow from more or less a distance. John has a little bit more boldness. in terms of following. So his betrayal came from the Gentiles and the person of Pilate. It came from the temple, from the church. It came from his disciples. It came from everything that he created. But lest we lose ourselves in the meditations on the betrayal, We should ask what our Lord wanted us to remember. And that's why those first readings of the first hour are the most important. Because his goodbye, his farewell, that's what we read in the first hour, John 13 through 17. He doesn't sit and talk about himself. He says to them, I'm leaving, it's my time to go, and even my going is is good for you. But what I ask from you is to do what I showed you, to love each other, because if you don't have love, then all that I'm doing is useless. The whole point of this is that I come down to you to lift you up again. I want to restore you to your dignity. Will you walk away from it again? Will you walk away from the precepts? Will you walk away from truth? By this all will know that you are mine when you love one another. If we don't look like that, how are we his people? And even in his final prayer to the Father in John 17, what does he beg? For us to be one. Make them one, O Father, even as you and I are one. I in you and they in me. And he even takes it further. He's not talking about just the disciples. Because he said, I don't just pray, Father, for these twelve. I pray also for those who believe because of them, which is us. The Lord in that night prayed even for us born out of time to these. It's imperative during Holy Week that If we want to live with him, if we want his suffering and passion to be true, go reconcile with whoever you're not reconciled with. Make peace. If this is the sign of our sonship to him, then we should be pursuing it. Then we should be at the feet of those who despise us, and even if they reject our offering of peace, no problem, at least have tried. And at least from within your heart, love them, choose them. Because that's what it means to love is to choose. Christ is saying, you didn't choose me, he said, disciples, I chose you. I loved you. As John will phrase differently in his epistle, we love him because he first loved us. We loved back. He initiated the choosing. Do we choose him? And if we choose him, he says, my children, if you love me, that's what he said in his goodbye, if you love me, if you claim you love me, keep my commandments. What are my commandments? Love God above all and your neighbor as yourself. How do I love my neighbor? He tells the story of the Good Samaritan even your enemy. If I'm hungry, feed me. If I'm sad, comfort me. If I'm homeless, let me in. If I'm in prison, visit me. Because whatever you do to these, you have done to me. And now as we walk with him through this night of agony, where for us we go home and sleep, for the Lord this went straight through the night, straight through the night, where in the morning we will say with Him, I'm ready, I'm ready for the scourges. May we offer Him our love, may we offer Him company to walk with Him on the journey, and may we have a heart of love like His, that His final farewell not be in vain, to Him be glory, now and always into the age of all ages on it.